This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Also, make sure to check out and subscribe to our YouTube original channel, UCTV Prime, available only on YouTube at youtube.com slash UCTV Prime. This UCTV podcast is sponsored in part by Audible.com, your destination for the widest selection of digital audiobooks available, including many by guests you've heard here on UCTV. Audible.com is offering UCTV podcast listeners a free 30-day trial subscription and one free audiobook download. Just visit audibletrial.com slash UCTV to sign up. That's audibletrial.com slash UCTV. And thanks. So we do have Don Charlton here, all the way from Pittsburgh, where the weather sucks. It's always sucked when I was there. But I think I think we're we're trading, right? Um, now the weather's the weather's good two months of the year, right? <laughs> three, 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 three. Give us some credit. All right, that's enough on the weather jokes. I'm just bummed that it's the weather sucks here right now. So Don refers to himself as a pixel pusher, um, but he's really so much more than that. In 2009, Don designed, built, and launched the Resumator. He now employs dozens of people. Um, and has recently earned the resumeers recently earned a spot on Entrepreneur Magazine's list of the 100 brilliant companies. Don's going to talk about the resumeer, but just for a frame of reference, it's an it's a software as a service solution. So it's an online solution that helps companies recruit and track applicants, new job um, applicants, new hires. So I'm an investor in the resumeer. That's not why Don's here. Don's here because his story is incredible. Um, and he was able to come all the way out here from Pittsburgh to, um, to tell his story to you. Um, the fact that I'm an investor is just a, a side note. But one thing that's important to, for, to note is his company is way outside of my strike zone at Rincon Venture Partners. And yet we made the investment anyway. We primarily invest in Southern California companies, Don's and Pittsburgh. It's the only investment outside of Southern California that we've done. We also typically invest in serially successful founders and teams um, Don's a first time. He's an entrepreneur. He's been entrepreneurial for a long time, but it's a fir- he's a first time CEO, and he started the company without a team. So that was kind of um, strike two. But but we made we made the um, investment without any reservations. When we met Don, when we got to know him, it was clear to us that this guy was not going to lose. He was the kind of entrepreneur that I'll invest in all day long. The kind of person that just absolutely is going to do whatever it takes to win at the end of the day. When we invested in Rencon Venture Partners, it was uh, sorry in the Resumator. When Rencon Venture Partners invested in the Resumator, it was basically Don, a very young full-time person, not much older than you guys, probably about the age of you guys, and a part-time, very young person. It was a very very small team. Even so, they already had traction in the market. Investors are always looking for traction. We don't care about ideas; we care about results. And Don and his very small team already had several hundred companies using their solution, despite the fact that they were in Pittsburgh, despite the fact that they were extremely small and had spent no money marketing their product. So again, as an investor, that's what you look for. You look for somebody that can get the job done with a product that's already working in the marketplace. So since we invested, the Resumator has been deployed by over 6,500 companies, over 25,000 users um, of the product, 
they have, they have used it to track over 2.5 million applicants. And the statistic that I'm most proud of is over 50,000 people have been hired who went through the Resumator. And in this bad economy, it's nice to know that you're doing something to help folks get a job. You might, have rec- you might recognize a few of the customers. A um, small company called Instagram. You may have heard of that one. Pinterest, Tumblr, Mashable, Evernote, Clout, Bitly, Heroku, Hootsuite, Mahalo, and Posturus. So a lot of the fastest-growing companies in the tech world are using the Resumator because it's a great tool. It gives them a competitive advantage. We can now talk about this publicly because the election's over. Both the Obama campaign and um, Romney's campaign, both of them use the Resumator to ramp up their huge teams. Again, it's a tool that allows you to quickly bring on talented people for the right job at the right time. We're very proud of the fact that Salesforce.com recently invested in the company. Salesforce is the world's largest software as a service company. They've invested, and we're super excited about the partnership that's going to unfold from that investment. So Don has a great story. I don't want to steal his thunder, just give you a little bit more context. So Don had a lot of challenges growing up, to say the least. Don was very lucky in the fact that he was able to couple his passion for art with his love of computer design and computer programming. He motivated himself to earn an undergraduate degree with honors from Rochester Institute of Technology. And over the next decade, he established himself as an award-winning interactive designer, uh, software developer, and an inspirational public speaker. Don has a lovely wife, Marla, who I want to come out here because I think the weather would be better if she came. Now, Marla's wonderful, and Marla is part of the team. She's actually part of the Resumator team. So what they've been able to do is share that experience together, which is powerful, but it's also a little dangerous. Um, They've been able to do... Um, they've been able to balance the, the challenges of a startup and the ups and downs and the highs and lows, um, but they've also been able to keep their personal life in balance as well. And it's not, it's not um, easy to do that. But I encourage you to do that if you can. If you can keep to the extent that you can um, you know, succeed professionally and succeed personally, that's, that's true success in my book. Let's bring Don on. Let's hear his story. Thanks, John. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I got pretty nervous sitting over there. I thought I had an assignment due. I haven't been uh, in a classroom in a long time. I feel bad for you guys. All those papers and what was that? ENG, whatever, 111. Jeez. Um, so anyway, again, my name is uh, Don Charlton, and uh, John kind of put every talking point that I was going to begin with out there already. So I'm just going to – what I'm going to do is I'm going to say – um, I'm going to start all the way from the beginning um, so you guys can kind of understand um, kind of how a person who had a passion for, um, I guess really what, what I'm saying is I wanted to draw comics. I wanted to be Jim Davis and not draw Garfield but come up with my own character whenever I was uh, 10 years old and how I ended up going from that, uh, basically being a really creative person to suddenly doing this thing called running a software company. Um, and I want to focus on the fact that I'm 35 years of age. And the reason why I focus on that is because that means that whenever I was around your guys' ages when you were freshmen, um, I was at a critical, I was entering college at a critical time um, in the, the onset of technology entering our lives. If I had been born four years earlier, I would have graduated from college never having used the web. 
Think about that. I'm, I'm, I consider myself pretty young. My whole entire life might have completely changed had I been born four years younger. So the interesting thing is by being born in 1977, that means that whenever I was a senior in college, I had never used the internet. I mean, I'm sorry, senior in high school. I had never used the internet. Uh, when my friends and I argued about something, uh, a fact, we didn't Wikipedia it. <laughs> we just kind of agreed to disagree. Um, the only computer programming I had growing up was Microsoft, or not Microsoft, Apple Basic. Look, it's so long ago, I'm forgetting you know, some of these uh, connections of these different programs. But let me go way, way, way back before all of that and kind of tell you about where I grew up. I grew up in a very small rural town called Masontown, Pennsylvania. It's in Fayette County, which is, about, which is one county south of um, Allegheny County, which is where Pittsburgh is found. Uh, I was a country kid. Um, I would say, I'd, actually, I'd probably say more rural. Country is kind of, I'd say, you know, rural Georgia or something like that. We were just kind of you know, small town folks. To me, going to Pittsburgh, which was about an hour north, was going to the big city. Um, I was intimidated by tall buildings. The, the town I grew up in had a six-story building, I think. That was the biggest building we had in there. Um, and the other thing is I grew up ridiculously poor. Um, to give you an idea how poor, our kitchen table had three legs. We pushed it in the corner to keep it up. Um, the types of jobs we had in our town were uh, coal mining jobs. Uh, so in other words, uh, if your parents could get a job as a coal miner, you'd probably make about 60 grand a year, and you could live a really good life in Masontown. But if you didn't find either through cronyism, nepotism, favoritism, a job in the coal mine, you basically didn't have anything. So I grew up there with my mother and my sister. Um, uh, my mother suffered from a mental illness that was undiagnosed her entire life, and we didn't find it out until after, actually, she passed away. Um, and we lived, and when I talk about the tough life that we had, um, it was something that I actually had, I hid from the world until I got to the point that I felt like I had succeeded enough that I could wear it as a badge of honor. Um, I was ashamed of it, but today I wear it like a effing badge of honor every single day. Because um, to me, it reminds me of the perseverance it takes in order for you to achieve anything in life. So, you know, growing up, I think, uh, I had never thought about being an entrepreneur. I didn't have any, I didn't think about really going to college either. I just kind of thought about wanting to have food every single day. I wanted to be able to eat. Um, and I knew that that required hard work. I knew that required, um, like my mother, like I love her to death, but she wasn't a role model. Um, I, she motivated me to want to work really hard. Uh, and I remember the day whenever I've, I didn't know it was entrepreneurialism, but I, I remember the day whenever I knew that I wanted to control my own destiny. A lot of entrepreneurs, they're, not, they're, they're kind of curious about what, they, what they're capable of doing on their own. Like, what's the pinnacle of my performance where I can't rely on somebody else to give me resources in order for me to be successful? I have to do it myself. And I never forget, I was really, really hungry. And um, I was in uh, the house, and I was trying, I wanted a Little Debbie snack cake, which I think there's still 25 cents, maybe 35 cents inflation or whatever, right? And, um, and I remember having 15 cents. And I remember digging through my mom's purse, digging, looking underneath the refrigerator. 
I remember looking in the couch, and I could not find a stupid dime. One dime. And I remember it was the summertime, and I was walking outside, and I was hungry, I was tired. And I remember leaning back and looking up at the sun and realizing that here I was, I think I was like 10 years old or something, and I just wanted a dime, 10 cents. And that dime might as well have been a 1,000 miles away from me because I could not manifest a dime in my life. Right then and there, I saw the importance of taking charge of your own life. So from that point, um, basically, you know, let me tell you a little bit about kind of um, the kind of student I was. I was a really good student, you know, growing up. Um, why? Because I like to go to school because you got free lunch. <laughs> um, also, I was really interested in math. Um, I liked algebra. I liked uh, anything that involved kind of figuring out um, a problem. I loved problem solving. And again, at the time, you know, you're too young to know that that's what you like. You're not, you're not forming phrases like, I like problem solving. You're just thinking, like, this, is, this class is fun. Um, but there was one thing that I did better than anybody throughout all 12 years of my um, K-12 through education. I was the best artist in every school that I was in. Um, you know, elementary school, junior high, high school, I was the best artist in our school, hands down. Um, I loved to draw. Whenever I was really, really young, um, we, you know, we couldn't afford paper, so I would open up the cereal boxes. And uh, I'm not trying to depress you guys. I'm actually trying to tell you, like, like this was character building things. So, like, let's not, like, like let's not, like, you know, di- go, to, you know, dig too deep or whatever. I'm trying. To, like, these are character building things that I'm proud of. Um, and I would draw food. I would draw Snickers bars. I would draw Kit Kats and so forth. Um, you know, with my crayons and so forth. Um, I can I can draw you exactly the way you look. I could draw you identically the way you look right now. Um, for a hundred dollars each, we can wait outside. I can you know, you know make a little quick extra money before we leave here. Um, and uh, I like I mentioned before, I love comics. I wanted to draw comics. Um, and I loved Garfield. I loved Jim Davis. And I used to go up to the library and I would check out. Yes, the library, you know, remember that place, right? <laughs> like Dewey Decimal System, all that stuff. See, yeah. Again, I always say I'm only 35. I don't think I'm old, but that critical point in life whenever I, you know, I, not only did I transition off to a whole new world, Rochester, New York College, I also transitioned basically my, my, the prism in which, in which I viewed life, you know, being able to see the entire world um, through the web. But anyway, back to comics. So I used to go up to the library, I used to grab Garfield books, and I would try to draw Garfield and so forth. It was really fun. Um, and I went through high school, and um, I was a senior in high school, and at that point, I still wanted to basically be a cartoonist. And I had a great art teacher. And um, I'm sorry, not a great art I had a great art teacher, but I had a great guidance counselor who saw that throughout school, my sister and I, we were, we were really, really good students. Everybody kind of knew, they kind of knew our home situation. Um, but fundamentally, we were always, um, you know, straight, almost straight A or straight A and B students. Um, and he pulled, my, my guidance counselor, I'll never forget his name, is Mr. Gillespie. Um, he pulled me into his office. And this is, you know, t- just, just so you know, like one of the most important things as a young person is finding people who you trust their opinion to help you figure out what the next move is in your life. Because I fundamentally promise you right now, all of you are arrogant. Trust me. 
Everybody is arrogant because they always think that they figured a lot of things out. The older you get, the more you realize how much you don't know. And I thought I had life figured out. I was going to be a cartoonist. You couldn't tell me anything. I have, I have hair on my chin. I'm a grown-ass man. How can you talk to me like that, right? Um, but he pulled me in the office and he said, Don, look, you're not going to make any money drawing. You're not. Um, there's this thing called graphic design. It's commercial art. Um, I, I didn't even know what that was. And he's like, you draw things on the computer and so forth. You really should do that. Um, now, one of those words in, the, in his statement, everything else was kind of BS to me. But one word he said really stood out, computer. And the reason for that was, like, how many of you guys have used a computer when you were 10? Raise your hands. How many of you guys have used a computer when you were five? That's ridiculous. Okay? I didn't use a computer until I was 17. And I'll never forget that moment because it was just, it was, the class was called computer science. And the program that we used, how many of you guys used Microsoft Word in high school? It didn't exist. How many of you guys have programmed in BASIC? See, those are the rock stars, whoever is pro- programming in basic. Yeah, you guys are the rock stars. That's what I was programming. Whoa. That's what I was programming in. I thought about screaming over there to scare everybody in here because I knew I was miked. I, I was just going to scream really loud just to scare everybody, but I didn't do it. Um, <laughs> what was that? So anyway, am I still on? Okay, good. So um, computer science class was, was cool because for the first time I had sat down um, and I think maybe back in the day we did this. Have you guys heard of Mavis Beacon typing tutor? Again, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm only 35, right? So it's probably all digital for you guys, and it's online. It's in Flash or HTML5 or something now, right? Um, back in the day, it was a CD. No, no, it was a disk that you put in a computer, and it and you taught yeah, it's a floppy. It taught you how to type, and if you typed a word wrong, a fly would hit the your windshield of your car as you were typing. Like you're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So anyway. Um, you know, that was my exposure to computers up until the point that I was 17, this one little time that we were learning how to type. Um, and I always say you can tell how old somebody is by how many spaces they put between sentences. Like, right? Like, you know, if you put two, if you put two spaces, either you're old or somebody old taught you because they're thinking about, type, they're thinking about the typewriters, right? So anyway, um, computer science class, uh, you know, we, they sat us down in front of this you know, box with this thing called a key. How many of you guys have used a keyboard under the age of 10? Okay, yeah. So I had used a keyboard one time up to the point that I was 17. So I sat down on this keyboard and I sat down on this thing called uh, a mouse, this like miraculous thing that I had discovered at the age of 17. Um, wait, I'm sorry, no, that's a lie. We didn't have a mouse at 17. There was no mouse on these computers. We didn't have that. We didn't have a graphic interface. It was basic. But what I fell in love with was, it was math. I had loved math, but suddenly now I could control it. It was like I was taking algebra, and I was able to actually apply it in programs. So, you know, I was, there was this fortunate thing that I had in my life, which was sports. I was a jock. I was a really, really good athlete. But I had this dirty little secret that I didn't tell anybody. Every morning in homeroom, I snuck to the library to a computer program. 
every free moment I had, I almost stopped drawing. I almost stopped being an artist. I would sneak to the library computer program. And I made, um, I wrote Pong, which, by the way, um, back in the day, whenever you wanted to do a program, you would have to get a printout, and you would read, you'd look at the printout, you would type it in, and so forth. Um, I wanted to try to write Pong from scratch, so I tried to find some printouts that were about physics and so forth and, and um, algorithms. I remember things like the Pythagorean, not the Pythagorean theorem, um, uh, oh my goodness, yeah, Pythagorean theorem. I am, see, the cobwebs are starting to form in my brain. But just basically, like, all of these different functions and so forth for trying to make things move across the screen. Um, I made uh, a game called Another Word, which I think is called Boggle. I didn't know it at the time, but, you know, it's basically, I gave you seven random letters, and uh, the first person had to find as many words as possible. And then the second person, and whenever they couldn't find any more words, they got ten points each. They clicked okay, your turn. And then the opponent had a chance to find another word, and they got 30 points each. I thought, I was, I thought you know, I'm going to make a fortune with this game someday, because I actually, at that time, I was thinking, like, maybe someday people will buy these games. Um, but anyway, long story short, uh, whenever my guidance counselor said the word computer, I thought, wait a minute, are you telling me that I can maybe do art on the computer? because I like the computer. Um, and he said, yeah. So at that point, I had, I mean, I was a pretty good, I had basketball scholarships out the wazoo. Um, I had a walk-on trial at Penn State main campus for basketball. Um, and I had a ton of, because I, I had such good grades, I had a ton of scholarship brochure, not scholarship, but um, actually I didn't have any. I'll tell you about that in a second. Um, I had a ton of brochures from schools that wanted me to apply. And i never forget, he dug through all of those, and he slid this school in Rochester, New York, called RIT in front of me, and he said, this is one of the best design schools in the world. You should go to it. And I didn't blink. Um, I, turned down, I turned down money. I turned down full scholarships. I turned down everything. To go off to this school in Rochester, New York, um, to be, be a designer. And um, the funny thing is, that summer, I didn't, um, I di- I didn't have, uh, like, I, had to, I, didn't, I didn't have money for a bus ticket, right? So I, um, and what I'm trying to tell you is, I'm trying to say, like, how, what you're experiencing now maybe isn't my story, but it's about building your character and figuring out what is it that motivates you, what is the badge that you want to wear on your chest so that you can help, so that can help to define what type of person you want to be and what, and what you want or what are you going to tap into to help, to help you drive yourself in the right direction in terms of wanting to be successful? This is kind of my story. Um, so, you know, I worked my butt off all through summer. I worked at McDonald's, and I also put up drywall. So I was working, like, 15-hour days. But I was trying to support my family, too. Um, well, I guess, yeah, my sister and my mom. And um, I, I went off to college with $75 in my bus ticket. And um, a whole bunch, I took, you know, you, college, I don't know if you guys did this, your freshman year, you take everything, right? You have like 15 bags of stuff or whatever. You guys don't do that? No, I did. I took everything. I, I took my room to college. Look at it that way, right? Um, so what was interesting, though, was when I went off to Rochester, um, you think about like the, my frame of reference, right? Like, so um, I, uh, I had never been in a really big city. Um, I had, uh, you know, never really used a computer that much other than, like, computer programming. 
And suddenly I was kind of where you guys are right now. Um, I was at one of, the most, uh, one of the most technologically advanced schools. Um, a lot of people think, R, when I say RIT, it's like a technical, it's just a technical trade school. It's not. It's one of the uh, best technology schools in the world. We like to say we're MIT further west. That's what we like to say. And we also say screw CMU. They're right in our backyard, but we hate CMU. Um, but anyway, um, at that point, I had assumed that I was going to be a graphic designer. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was taking art classes and so forth in school. And I, f- there, I was a little bit disappointed because there was no computer programming. We were on the computer, but I was just like finger painting. I was just like doing t- 2D designs and putting text in certain places. Um, but, you know, after a while, whenever your classes tell you what you should be doing, you know, you start to think, okay, this is going to be my career. So a lot of college kids, they get caught up in what their curriculum is and, and also, quite frankly, what their parents say they should be doing. And then they end up, especially you guys nowadays, you know, $170,000 in debt and you hate your degree. Right? I mean, that happens today. At least back then, it was your $20,000 in debt and you hate your degree. At least you could maybe put a dent in that, right? Um, so my point, my point there is you're at a time, if a lot of you guys are seniors, where you really got to think hard about, your, about what you're, the, like basically what you went to school for and if you really want to do it. So slightly too late, but that doesn't mean that. No, but hear me out, though. That doesn't mean that you should just go headfirst into the world um, and basically try to, you know, be a product designer for John Deere, even though you can't stand product design. Um, this actually, believe it or not, you guys are sitting here thinking about the school loans you have. But I promise you, this is the optimal time for you to really set your trajectory and your destiny. This is the time for you to start a business. This is the time for you to, to say, you know what? Um, I'm going to figure out a way to not have to pay those school loans right now. Or I'm going to figure out a way to, to start a business. Uh, it doesn't seem like it. It seems like you know, you're suddenly going to be getting the most responsibility you've ever had in your life, bills. Um, but this is your optimal time. And I'm going to tell you how I didn't do that. Because <laughs> um, I remember I was kind of thinking, I just want a job. I want to make money. I want to be able to like, never be hungry again. I remember going off to college and like, them saying, you know, uh, uh, there's this Gracie's dining hall where we can go in there, we can eat all, and we can eat as much as we want. That was like the greatest thing on earth. That, that's why I had to go to college for me. That's why I went to college, basically for that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so when I was in college, I went four years of college, and I didn't do much computer programming at all. Um, and I graduated with a degree in design. Um, uh, and I got out of school, and it was now 1999. Again, you know, all through K through 12, no web. High school, I mean, I mean college, I was using the web. And then now I was graduating in 1999. And now it was getting towards the internet bubble, which I think most of you guys probably were not really affected by it from a job perspective, I'm assuming, right? <laughs> it was a rough time for a lot of people. But 99, it was still kind of, at least in my business, which was, you know, design, like designing, like basically the design industry, like, you know, designing brochures, designing logos, and suddenly this new thing called designing websites. 
Um, so I worked at a great design firm um, called uh, Agnew Moyer Smith. Um, and there's two great guys there, Reed Agnew and Don Moyer. And um, they really did shape the person who I am today. And I'll tell you why they did in a second. Um, well, the fir- actually, the first, I'll just tell you now. The first thing that they did was um, they brought me in and they said, there's this whole new thing that we think there's a lot of business. It's the web. Or no, I'm sorry, back then we called it the World Wide Web, right? There was no, for sure, it was the World Wide Web. They basically said to me, if you want a job here, you're going to have to design websites. Um, and I said, I want to keep my job, so okay, I'm going to figure it out. So a wonderful thing happened, though. Um, as you guys know, um, people that can build, if you're building web, I played around with you know, web pages and so forth in college. There is a site, I think it might still be up, called davessite.com. Um, I do notice one thing today, though, that um, back in the day, having your laptop or anything up in front of you was considered rude. So how many of you guys are about to type that in right now? <laughs> right, exactly. Um, I would even say, too, if you could do me the courtesy of closing your laptop, I mean, that would be a polite thing to do. But do 20-some-year-old people actually do that? I don't know. He's even shaking his head. Wow. You guys are doomed. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Anyway, I'm just kidding. Um, What was I going to say? Yeah, Dave's site. So I learned a little bit on on Dave's site on the web. So then from there... From there on Dave's site, um, I was in. I was, you know, working at Agnew Murray Smith, and that's where I fell back in love with basically computer programming. So, kind of think about the things that you were passionate about when you were a kid, or the things that you learned to be passionate about. Like, don't give those things up. Like, don't give up the things that you know maybe you like to do, but you're not doing in your major. Suddenly, I was given this opportunity to computer program again, just building websites and so forth. And I kind of fell back in love with that. Um, and, you know, I mean, long story short, basically, I'd become a web designer. And it, it was a, when I was in school, it didn't even exist as a major. Um, so, you know, we were sitting there, and we were building web pages and so forth, and I was building websites. Um, but Reed Agner and Dawn Moore, one thing that they did was they basically thrust me into a ton of responsibility at a very early age. And... My advice to you is to find somebody who's willing to trust you very early on. I remember being a designer, and when I would design something, I would just maybe move something over 10 pixels, and then I would run over to my boss, and I would say, what do you think? And he'd give me some feedback, and then I'd go back, and I'd run over again. And then something clicked in my head. I basically was a punk. I was afraid to design something you know, like work on it on my own and then say, this is what it should be. This is the solution. I don't need you to art direct me. So I started rebelling and I started designing more and more. And then my boss was coming at me and saying, well, wait, wait a minute. Why, why do you have so much done and you haven't actually, you know, talked to me? And I said, well, you know, give me the opportunity to fail. And I think that's as a younger person, that's the one thing that you want to try to do if you really want to control your career is to try to Put yourself or work for a company or work for somebody or work someplace where they're willing to give you a chance to fail. They're not going to basically turn you into a quasi-intern whenever you go into that company. That's why startup companies are great to work for because we don't care how old you are, whatever. You really need, you really, really need to act like you have five years of experience or something because we don't really have the, the luxury of educating you on how to do things. 
Um, and my first person, who is now my director of customer success, makes really good money, was a junior in college. And he had all the responsibility of a full-time person. That's one of the great things about working at startups, is that they will give you a chance to fail. Because you want a chance to fail, because you're not going to fail, right? So this wasn't a startup, but my bosses saw that I wanted the opportunity to fail, and they gave me that opportunity. Um, they put me in front of companies like McDonald's, Steelcase, um, Caterpillar, where I was presenting to senior vice presidents the things that we were doing. So I was this you know, really poor kid from the projects um, with tons of self-consciousness. Um, and they took all of that out of me by forcing me into positions where I had to basically grow up, become a professional, learn how to present, um, not be afraid you know, to kind of basically steer or you know, kind of command a room, um, which I didn't know at the time were, were key ingredients to being entrepreneurial, being a leader, being able to motivate and push people. And also, quite frankly, trying to be an example for others to follow. I didn't know that at the time. Um, but by them doing that, it gave me a lot of confidence. So it's important for you guys, whenever you're working for somebody, again, to try to find people who basically, they're willing to listen to you when you describe what you want to be. You know, you, if you're not thinking about that right now, what do you want to be five years from now? It's very hard to think about that, but don't think of it as a job. Don't say, I want to be a, an engineer. Think about what you want. I want to be, I want to be leading people. Think about that. Or I want to be um, doing something innovative. Uh, and innovation is kind of like a generic word, but maybe you know, I want to do something that no one else is doing. I want to work for a company that's trying to fundamentally change something. When you're able to start articulating what you want, people who don't really know what to do with people who have nothing on their resume can start to get creative. You know? So one of the things is your, your ability to articulate what you want, what you want to try to do. Um, and I, and I, I would encourage you also to, even though you don't have any experience, you got to kind of have a swagger like you like you do, you know. Like I think you don't want to come in and sound arrogant, but you want to come in and sound confident. Companies, startups, um, big businesses—they always worry about hiring younger people because they worry about how much they have to train them or teach them. So whenever you come in the door, if you talk about, look, you know, you just you give me something, I'm going to learn it. You don't even have to. You don't even like. I'm going to learn it on my own time. You don't have to worry about training me. You know, you, you help me figure out. You, you give me, you know, A through B, I'm going to give you C through Z. If you start to kind of have that swagger and you start to talk about yourself that way, it's going to make it much easier for people to believe that you actually can take on more responsibility. Because that's one of the tough things about being a young person is people often are condescending to you. Often. But often it's your fault because you're not opening up your ears enough. I think one of the things that you have to think about is the fact that, um, and I struggle with this a lot now that as I'm, as I'm getting older, is at 35 years of age, at some point you have to trust me and you have to trust John and you have to trust other people that we have actually experienced things that you haven't and we are trying to prevent you from making our mistakes. And one of the mistakes that I didn't have early on was opening up my ears enough to people who were trying to give me really sound advice around my career. Um, you know, I probably stagnated as a designer at my first design firm because I wasn't listening to people telling me that, you know what, if you change jobs and try to work someplace else, you're going to be able to get out from under people who saw you as a college student. 
who graduated. They're never going to look at you differently because they look, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, um, I mean, you probably know this. If you, if you have a kid and they're 20, they're always going to be your kid, no matter what. You know, they're paying taxes, they're fighting in the war, whatever, it doesn't matter. They're your kid, right? So that was a piece of advice that I didn't listen to. Um, and eventually when I did, I moved over to a firm called Wall Studios. I'm fast forwarding now up to the point that I'm you know, about to become entrepreneurial. Um, and um, I took a pay cut to go to Wall Studios to work on really, really creative designs, uh, really, really creative websites and so forth. And um, there, I think what I learned, so I think if, if in my first job I learned basically, and I would even say too, I think I almost forced that company to teach me how to be a leader. Because once when I started feeling like, okay, this is what it's like to facilitate and lead meetings and so forth, I was begging for those responsibilities. And I formed and I crafted it in a way that my bosses understood. And it started off with giving me the chance to fail, but people don't, bosses don't want you to fail. So I, I changed it. I said, give me a chance to steer the ship. And don't let me hit an iceberg but give me a chance to steer the ship. Grab the wheel if I'm about to hit an iceberg. And that gave me a lot more responsibility, and I took that education and experience of managing websites into my next job. So, Waterwall Studios, I was there for five years, and I started to get bored. And now I looked at my skill set, and I said, okay, I know how to build websites. I, I, I guess I, I should have told you this. I know how to do the front end and back end of websites. I know how to design websites, and over 10 years, you gain a little bit of knowledge about business. And I said, that's a pretty good mix for an internet entrepreneur. So now at this point, right, I've got 10 years of business experience, so I have a little bit of a swagger. I think that I know everything. Again, here I am, uh, 20 some years, you know, 27, thinking I know everything. I'm going to go off, I'm just going to start a business, right? Screw it, you know, like, if my boss can do it, I can do it. Again, my ears were closed. Um, so I decided I was going to um, try to start a company. I was going to try to start it at night. And I had this idea, and one of the things uh, that you should do whenever you're trying to come up with an idea for your own, for your own business is try to solve, scratch your own itch. Um, but the problem that you have to, the thing you have to worry about when you're trying to scratch your own itch, you're trying to solve a problem you have, is remember, if you have a ton of peers, they're probably also doing the exact same thing. Sometimes you have to extend beyond a problem that you have, and you have to start thinking about problems that other people have. And I was fortunate to work in a design agency. That's exactly what we do. We, I'm, also, I'm trying to explain how I have no recruiting experience, but I built recruiting software. When you work in a design firm, you learn to embrace other people's challenges. And even though you're not going to get satisfaction from solving that challenge, you're going to get satisfaction from seeing them be more successful because you solved their challenge. You know, they sell more product, they get more conversions, or whatever. So, you know, you know, kind of moving back to the fact that I, I thought I had all this expertise, uh, I started building this, um, this app, this Scratch My Own Itch, which was a content management system. Um, as you guys know, there's this thing called WordPress. It makes it pretty easy to build websites and so forth. This is actually prior to WordPress, believe it or not, but there's a ton of content management systems out there. So I had no business degree, but I thought I knew everything about business. Um, and I built a product that quickly I learned a ton of other people already had. 
you know, there are plenty of companies out there doing content management systems. Uh, the name of the company was Join Sources. You'll notice I actually I have a very, it's very tough for me to name companies. Um, Join Sources, Join Forces. I have a lisp. Like, I, I'm going out and I'm talking about my business and I'm putting all those S's in the middle of my company names. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Say, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm Don Charlton from Join Sources. What? Uh, yeah. So anyway, it was supposed to, the idea behind it was supposed to be a content management system that I think we had, the uniqueness was if you're like a law firm, you have a website, but the most important aspect of your website is your attorney directory. You can't just buy an attorney directory off the shelf. So we were going to give you all the core content management system, but we we're also going to have these vertical apps, dealer locators, attorney directories, um, you know, uh, I guess uh, think about a, a site like Shopify. So it's kind of like product listings and so forth. And you can embed those in your website. This is before Amazon Web Services. This is before all of these other services that you've probably heard of or used, before Gmail, all this. Um, I think, no, yeah, before Gmail. Jeez, time is going fast, folks. And, um, you know, I needed 10 grand in order to uh, even have a, have a server at the time. We didn't have the money. So I made a mistake. Uh, whenever I started the company, so you know, kind of backing up a little bit, is there's this common statement whenever it comes to like business, like it's like was it the three F's? Don't start businesses with friends, family, and fools, right? Um, I started with friends um, and fools, probably four of us. We started that company, Joint Sources, and. I thought because I had led a team of designers that I knew how to lead a team of people, and I didn't. I didn't know how to motivate um, people who weren't making any money. They had to just come in and kind of help me out. Or we, Actually, they didn't even come in. We talked on the phone. And um, I was a horrible leader because one of the things that I did really wrong was I, I assumed everybody was like me, and everybody's not like you. Um, I was a self-starter, but other people need to be motivated and pushed and so forth. Um, so, you know, we basically just fizzled through the money that we had. That company failed. Um, but remember, you know, I had this determination in me that I was going to try to make a business. I was going to try to be successful. So I pivoted immediately. When then, and by the way, this is before the word pivoted existed. And I think I pivoted more just because I wanted to, like, I was not going to not be an entrepreneur. I was, I was going to be an entrepreneur, period. So I started thinking about a problem that another problem that I had um, that was um, less it was less popular, I think, in terms of um, what an entrepreneur would typically think of, especially you know being like 25 or something, because you don't do a lot of hiring when you're 25 typically. I thought about hiring, and I thought about whenever I was hiring designers at my old design firm. I hated, I hated, hated, hated hiring them because I had a full-time job. So John's kind of talked about what the resumator is. So I basically, at that point, I ate a piece of humble pie because I had a failed company. And the first thing that I did was I started ingesting information about how to run a technology startup. So you guys are fortunate that you have tons of history. I promise you, if you watch the TechCrunch 40 demos from the very first TechCrunch 40, if you go to sites like Mixergy and you start to hear the stories of entrepreneurs, um, you know, I was fortunate whenever John invested in me, um, he, he flew me down here to Santa Barbara the other time I was down here, and probably the only other time when you had bad weather. Um, uh, I met Kevin O'Connor, who was, uh, I think, the founder of DoubleClick, right? 
And um, I remember listening to Kevin O'Connor's story long before I ever met him. So you know, I was kind of feeling I was in like kind of the startup entrepreneur rock star scene whenever I met him. Um, but my point is, is if you want to do something, you need to start ingesting information about it. So all these videos that people are putting up, um, if you want to be a startup CEO, you need to start hearing the stories of startup CEOs. Um, you're not too young to have a subscription to Inc. Magazine or Forbes Magazine. Because it's not just a, there's, there's tips in there about how to basically grow skills that you don't have yet. You guys don't have skills around leading people. You don't have skills around motivating people and so forth yet. If you start to ingest information, like just put on your headset and don't listen to music, listen to an entrepreneur talk about their journey. That's how you can really start to learn a lot about basically building a business. And that's what I did. Um, while I was coding Resumator, I was just ingesting as many stories and as many tips as possible about building a startup. Uh, the next thing I did is I educated myself on how to get into a startup or into the startup world, networking. If you guys want to work at an early stage startup, early stage company, you got to basically start to hang out with people who are in that world. You guys are fortunate being out here, you're more likely to run into them. Um, I wasn't. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I did was I connected with them over, over email. So, um, you know, there's all kinds of folks that, that were out here in uh, rooms like uh, Hacker News and so forth, and I would just start asking questions and so forth. I would say, do you know such and such? I was just trying to connect with people, which, by the way, I was able to leverage later on for partnerships and so forth in my business. Um, and when I ingested enough information about how to run a company, I then started applying it. And I, I tweeted this recently. Um, I've now come to the point that I know I can't watch a podcast and learn anything more about building a business, which is kind of scary. I feel like, I feel like you know, it's all those old podcasts and those tips and so forth, it's really just about executing now. You know, you might get a few, gran you know, few grains of uh, wisdom, but it really is just about building a business now. But you need to saturate yourself with all that stuff where you start to kind of feel like that's the child stuff now. That's the early stage stuff. But you get, trust me, you guys don't have any of that. But if you learn it, you might even just start your own business as opposed to working for somebody. The more articulate you can sound whenever you're talking, whenever you're talking to me about wanting to work for my business because you understand startups, the better the chances are that I'm going to want to work with you because you kind of get the fact that we don't know what the hell we're doing. right? That's a dirty little secret. Like I'm a CEO. I'm figuring out what the hell it even means. I'm chief, what am I chief executing? Right? I'm a product guy. build products and so forth. Right? Um, but, when you, but whenever I have other people who kind of recognize that they're trying to figure out a per, an aspect of my business as well, I want to work with those types of people. So I, launched, so I got into this accelerator program in Pittsburgh called Alpha Lab. They gave me 25 grand so I could like, start my business and so forth. Um, and uh, the reason I got in was because I networked. Um, you know, do you, how many of you guys have a LinkedIn profile? How many of you guys have 100 connections? How many of you guys have 200 connections? How many of you think you know 200 people? OK. You guys, how many of you guys have a Facebook profile? How many of you guys have 200 connections? OK. Which one of those networks do you think is more important right now? Yeah. How often do you guys check LinkedIn or meet somebody and try to find them on LinkedIn or encourage them to get on LinkedIn? Every day? Once a week. Once a week? That's all? Really? Yeah. Okay, that's well, good. Oh, that's you. So, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. 
Uh, see, he, but he's starting to realize now networking is one of your most important things. LinkedIn may get a lot of flack for, you know, people trying to figure out how it's valuable daily, on a daily basis. But the reality is building your personal network right now is going to be one of the most important things that you can do. You can get a job by asking somebody for an introduction. The more time you spend on Facebook as a senior, the more likely you are going to be stunting your ability to network in the future. You know, how many of you guys are connected to John Greathouse on LinkedIn? That's a damn shame. But, but, but here's what I'm trying to say, and this is, the funny thing is, even when I was, like, mind you, I was in the middle of Alpha Lab, and I had, I was, I was 29 or 30? No, I was, actually, I was older than that. It's kind of scary. And I had people needing to tell me, you need to network with that person. You need to go talk to them, shake their hand. Again, thinking I knew everything, and I have people educating me, and I'm listening to them now. Um, John Greathouse is a venture capitalist who started, not started, but rather was an early stage person in a company that was acquired by Citrix. He, down the road, and he's educating you. And at some point down, I'm sorry, John, I'm doing this to you. You're about to get a whole bunch of invites. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of digging him back for getting me on Pittsburgh. But, but, but the whole idea is, is that if you could build an authentic relationship with him, not just think you know, you're just going to you know, send an invite to him, so that whenever he sees your LinkedIn invite, he's thinking, I know this person, and it sounds like they're motivated and they want to do something. Um, that's an that's a, a authentic relationship that you need to build with as many people who can help you in your career as possible. So that's something that I started trying to do a lot. Um, so you know, I graduated from the Alpha Lab program in May. I'm trying to look at my time. And... Um, uh, uh, I, f- I messed up. I punked out. I quit my job. That's not the punking out part. Um, and then I got a great job offer from another company. It's a company called Grasshopper. And it was more money than I ever made before. And it allowed me to not worry about, what, about failure. And I promise you, if you want to be in the world of startups, it's, it's a, it sounds like, a, like it's not that you embrace failure. It's that you have to be willing to, to let failure be an option in your life. Um, I took a job at Grasshopper, which, by the way, is a great company. But it stunted the growth of Resumator because suddenly I was focusing on all these tasks inside of Grasshopper, and I wasn't really focused on building Resumator or, or growing as an entrepreneur. So one of the things is, you know, you have to learn to make bold moves at your age. Like you guys have, you guys don't realize how low, how, you know, your risk profile should be through the roof right now. Because trust me, the older you get, the harder it's going to be to take risks, right? Like if you have the weight of school loans on your back, I promise you that is the least of your problems. I'll never forget a story when, it, like I had a tooth knocked out playing basketball when I was a kid right here. And I remember I was like 24, and it grew like, like a little pimple above it, you know, because they put the tooth back in. And they told me that my body was rejecting the tooth. And I never forget sitting in the dentist's office, and the, dent, and the dentist saying, well, we could give you a bridge, which would mean grinding down your two teeth and putting a new one in, or we could do an implant. There were all these options that were, sounded horrible. And I remember putting my head down and saying, oh, my goodness, Doc, I don't, I don't know what decision to make. I'll never forget, he grabbed my arm, and he said, Dawn, you need to, you need to buck up. 
because life is only going to get harder. This is going to be one of the easiest decisions you, you, you make right now. So, so in other words, what I'm saying is, is that, is, is that, is that I, I know having a company that deals with hiring, um, I know that one of the biggest things that you guys are challenged with is it's a tough economy. I have school loans. Um, and also, basically, I want to try to basically make sure I get my career off on the right foot. Um, working in a startup, there's a, you have, a, you have a, probably a much better chance of working at a startup right now than you do in a really, really big company. I just saw a statistic. The, gr- the recent growth, 3% of the recent job growth has come from companies with over, I think it was uh, 500 employees. Most of the growth that's coming in our economy, I'm sorry, 3% of businesses with over 500 employees, rather, were planning to increase their staff. They want to maintain levels. Startup companies are willing to give you a, a job. They're willing to give you an opportunity. Take less money now to try to make more money because you're employee number three in a startup company. Um, or you know, take one year of working in a startup company for way less than you think you can, than you can make on the market in order to gain more experience. Um, you have all these opportunities to work for startups that I never had. Like this whole world of $25,000 to start a business with open source materials didn't exist. You guys have the opportunity to do those things right now. Um, don't just work for a big company because it's stability. Because I promise you, you're, you do not have a better risk profile than you do right now. So I punked out. I went to Grasshopper. Company, um, you know, was, was slowed down because of that. And then basically I finally I said, okay, I got to focus on Resumator full time. Now luckily, I had been doing some of these things right and I was able to start networking. Um, and um, I was able to talk to a guy named David Cohen from Techstars. So we, we were probably sitting on know, 20 customers at the time, um, over five months, I think. <laughs> you know, it was pretty bad because I wasn't focusing on the business. And um, I had networked with David Cohen before, and I was able to leverage that, that connection to say, hey, let us sponsor Techstars. Let's, you know, let's just give away our product to, you, to your early stage companies. So those connections connected me to basically all of the tech entrepreneurs that I know today, just from that Techstars deal. They put their, our little logo up on the bottom of their site, and then that's where we started getting enough traction that it, got, it led to John recognizing our company because somebody mentioned us. Um, uh, there was a serial entrepreneur in L.A. named Paige Craig who found us because he probably ran into another entrepreneur who ran into another entrepreneur a long time ago, all from that conversation with Techstars, so networking. Um, now, you know, Resumator is not a success story right now. Like, I think John said it best before, and I agree. We're, we're a great Pittsburgh story, but we're, but we're not a great national story. We're a great opportunity, but we're not a great company yet. Um, we're still trying to figure those things out, and here's some of the mistakes I'm making. Um, and I encourage you to try to think about in your career how to avoid these mistakes. I think one of the mistakes that I'm making as a... And, and to give you an idea, too, here, here are the brag points. If I stand over here real quick, brag points, and then I'll kind of wrap up here. Um, I, I run the company that has both presidential campaigns. These are the things that he mentioned before, but think about how this sounds. I have... You know, we, run, we have both presidential campaigns using our platform, some of the hottest-growing startups... Um, you know, I was recently featured as um, a regional finalist for Entrepreneur of the Year, blah, 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 blah. I step over here and I think we have a company that grows steadily but not exponentially. 
we have a, an audience of 600,000 businesses, but we only have you know, a couple thousand of them. Uh, and um, we're trying to find senior people in the city of Pittsburgh that kind of understand how to grow a software company. Um, so in other words, you know, these are some of the problems that I'm dealing with as an entrepreneur, and I embrace them. And you know the, some of the best people to help me with those problems are people who aren't jaded, people who aren't working in big companies, people who aren't you know, thinking you know, in an interview, how many vacation days do I get? People like you who, you know, all, you've spent your, and, and actually here's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rattle off some last pieces of advice real quick. Um, one of the things about, because I want to wrap up, actually, because I think I'm realizing I'm rambling. I ramble. You have to be careful. I'm an old man. But, but, let, me give you some, but let me give you some concrete pieces of advice, some, just, just bullet list piece of advice. If you guys want to gain respect, um, or if you're trying to start a company and you want to try to have people help you with it, you basically have, you think about this. It's words, actions, and then accomplishments. You're going to be trying to use your words early on to try to get a job. You're going to be trying to use your words to convince people to work with you. Um, and that's only going to help you so far because they're just words. Just like early on, if I was just talking about my business, to John's point, nobody was going to care. Now, you can then start to have some actions if you start to act. So in other words, you know, if you're trying to start a company, you're going out and you're telling people what you're working on. They see you're working on your code. You're showing them demos. Or maybe you're looking for a job. Um, I had a, a job opportunity at Saatchi and Saatchi in New York, an ad agency, because he told me my portfolio sucked. If I wanted to work in an ad agency, I had to build ads. So I went out and I built ads. I designed ads. I showed it to them. They offered me a job. I turned it down because I don't live in Rochester. It's too cold. Um, <laughs> And then finally, so you think about with my company, right? We had actions. We started like, you know, gaining momentum. People were seeing that we were building a really great piece of software. But you know where you really, really, really start to gain momentum in your career and your ability to, to hire great people or to work with great people in your startup is when you have accomplishments. So like getting Salesforce to invest in us, getting the presidential campaigns. Once you start to have things that you can check off as accomplishments on your resume, or in your actions as an entrepreneur, people will start to follow you much more quickly. So you need to figure out how to tap into those things. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.